Well, I'm going to be sharing today. I'm going to be sharing on, if we can put the scripture up, I'm going to be sharing from um, on the topic of follow, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 7. Really, it's going to be Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're not going to read it all or look at it all. I want to give you a little bit of homework, but the main passages we'll touch on will be 13 to 19. Let's just pray. Lord, I thank you that we can come to your word, that it is living and active. And I just pray that even as we share around it today, you will just release that life into us. I do thank you, Spirit of God, even as you come and move, that even as that picture came where there's been buildup and residue, that you would just remove all those blockages and hindrances, that we might just be released in your fullness of life, that you would come and release that in us. And we know that, Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. So come and have your way here today, even as you illuminate your word to us and minister to hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Who's excited about the lions? Yes, we're excited about the lions. I've become a lion supporter just until next year, and then I'll be back with the sharks, but it's good to support them. I remember when uh, Johan Miller not Johan Miller, Johan Miller as well, who was here at Harvest, but Johan Ackerman came for a while while he was playing for the Sharks, and he always used to be in that uh, backhand corner, that's where he'd sit, and I'd always be terrified to walk in and shake his hand, because uh, he was a strong man, and he's a strong coach, so we'll be praying and supporting them. How great it is to see them taking time to thank the Lord, and just acknowledge Him after the games, it's wonderful. But how many of you remember what happened, just to say it was my birthday on Friday, Well done, Mom. Third time you got it right. Where's John sitting over there for having me? (laughs) Never got enough presents, unfortunately, but uh, Monday's my day off, and I'm going to go shopping for myself, so that's the way it'll be. That was the 29th of July. Great day. But how many of you know what happened on the 31st of July, 2012, today, 2012, four years ago? Any uh, sports fanatics in the house? What's coming up and starting next week, Friday? The Olympics. Well, on on the 31st of July, 2012, Chad Leclerc beat Phelps in the 200-meter butterfly. What a surprise. I mean, they'd been building Phelps up in the 2008 Olympics. He had won eight gold medals. He had broken and set all sorts of new records. And anyway, this race was coming and Phelps got to race Chad Leclerc, and Chad Leclerc got to beat his era. It's quite amazing of the, because of the popularity of Phelps. They say that Facebook had estimated in the 2008 Olympics, going into the 2012 Olympics, that just from him advertising them and saying that he was on Facebook, they would jump 5 million new members on Facebook. That's the popularity that he carried. And... Uh, I must say, I'm an admirer of anyone who's in the Olympics. How many of you admire the athletes? I mean, the dedication, the time, the energy they put in, it's phenomenal. But, you know, there's certain people that are impacted more than I've been impacted. When when Phelps would swim, as I've mentioned, there were those that would watch. There were those that would enjoy seeing him breaking records and, and setting records. There are those that would watch the video clips and read the articles. But as I've mentioned, there was one young chap. Chad at that time, who was still a youngster at 2008 Olympics, who not only watched, who not only read the articles, but he actually got in the pool. He says he would swim every morning. He would be there 5.30 in the morning. He would be training. He would be swimming 24 hours a week in the pool, swimming. 
That's how many hours. He would swim between 60 and 90 kilometers during a month. That's how much um, distance he would cover. Because he had watched Phelps and something had gripped him. He had decided, I'm not just going to be a fan. I'm not just going to be an admirer. But something had happened within him where he said, I'm not going to just watch the Olympics. I want to compete in it. And I'm not just going to be an admirer of Phelps, but I want to be a, a follower of the example that he's setting. And he got in the water. Well, it impacted me very differently. I got to do a baptism at the men's camp. And it, uh, you can just imagine how cold the water was. It was over the last two weeks. Getting into that water was freezing. You are not going to get me back in the water until summer has hit in full force. Because I'm a bit of an admirer. I'm not a follower. And there's a big difference between the two. An admirer is impressed. A follower is devoted. An admirer applauds, but a follower devotes their life. When we look at an example like Martin Luther King, many people admired him. Maybe some marched with him, but not too many went to jail with him, and not too many had their house bombed like he had. When we look at Mother Teresa, not too many went and lived where she lived amongst the destitute and the dying, because there's a big difference from watching from afar and admiring as opposed to being a follower and following closely and on the heels of the person that you're journeying with. And so I want to pick that up and want to look a bit further. It's a topic that has been discussed many times in church, and I was reminded of it. There's a great book out there called Not a Fan, where it goes into what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And we had Rory Dyer at the men's camp, and he had brought this challenge to us of not just calling ourselves a label, but being men, and it's for us as it's for you as ladies, not us as ladies. John will pick on me later. For you as ladies as well to be followers of Jesus, men and women. No, no uh, prejudice in that. We all get to follow after. We're all part of the bride of Christ, and we're all sons of God, as Rory also went on to encourage us with. But in this following after Jesus, there's something that differentiates it from just being a fan and just being an admirer. They say in America, statistically, they say 80, sorry, 75% of Americans would say that they were fans of Jesus, whatever that would mean if you go, would go through the criteria. But they would also say they weren't followers. 75% were happy to be fans and not to be followers. What does it look like in your life and mine? When we look at this God, we sang about his relentless love who has pursued us, who has relentlessly sought after us and come and found us and given everything to restore us in relationship with Him. How hard are we following after this God who has relentlessly pursued you and me for relationship? A question we need to really delve in and come to grips with and ask the question of. We see Jesus starts to speak into this and starts to bring this uh, this definition of it and this choice that's faced with us as we read and we look through, um, as I've said, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, I had an encouragement. It was from Jimmy. I've, I've shared it with you before. He looked at me. This was nearing the end of last year, and he said, George, you get to speak into my spiritual health. I'm going to speak into your physical health. He's a biokineticist, and he said, George, you need to lose weight. He said it a little bit more bluntly and not as diplomatically as that. But anyway, I lost 18 kilograms. Unfortunately, I think I'm now at 17 kilograms. The chocolates won me over a little bit in this cold, rainy week that we've just had. But I like to tell Leanne it's all muscle that I've added on. But she's having none of it. 
But there's this challenge that I want to bring as we're coming towards Olympics, and it's a great thing to watch and to enjoy, but how are we doing spiritually? Are we, are we training? Are we disciplining ourselves? Are we pursuing after that prize of the high calling that we have in Christ Jesus, as the Apostle Paul encourages us? You don't just show up at the event to win gold. You've got to train. And so I want to give you a little bit of homework and training at home. I want to encourage you. We're not going to have time today to read through Matthew um, chapter 5, 6, and 7, but won't you go home and read it? It's Jesus speaking. It's the longest passage of his teaching that we find um, that's throughout the New Testament. And it's this passage here, and he gives this sermon on the mount. So beautiful, so powerful, so profound, so life-changing. It demands a response. And we're not going to get to read it all now, so I want to encourage you, please, go and read that. Let that be your preparation for the Olympics kicking off on Friday. But Jesus starts to give this sermon, and there's two groups of people that are there. If you read it at the beginning of, of chapter 5, it says he, he noticed there was a crowd that began to gather around him. And so he went up onto the mountainside, and when the disciples came, he began to teach. So there was this crowd around him. He went to the mountainside and got ready. And when the disciples there, he started to teach. And there was this group, this crowd that had gathered around him. And they were impressed with him. They were fans. They were like that 75% of of the American from that statistical uh, result that came back. They were impressed with Jesus. Even when he brought the sermon, and as you read through it, these chapters, as I've said, it's, it's challenging. It's not light. There's some dramatic things that he says in those passages as you read through it. But even though they were a crowd and they were gathered around, it says as we read in Matthew seven twenty-eight to 29, at the end of the sermon, it says when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. He taught, as other versions would say, as one with real authority not as the other teachers. You know, they'd heard um, the worldly um, talk and, and the jargon, and they'd heard the politicians, and they'd been exposed to the charisma and the soul power and the gifting that comes on a worldly level, but they had never heard a man who spoke with such heavenly, divine, imparted authority that arrested their attention. And as they heard him, it says they were amazed. This crowd, the two groups, the crowd and the disciples, they were amazed at hearing as he spoke words of life that cut through all the rubbish and hit them right at the core of who they are. But even in hearing that and even in being amazed and even at hearing the power and authority, some were just impressed. And some were revolutionized. But there were two different outcomes. You see, the whole crowd admired Jesus But there were few that when he was speaking, something happened deep within them. Something turned around and changed. Something came alive within them. Something started racing within their hearts where they started to think to themselves, this is it. This is what it's all about. This is what I've been longing for my whole life. I've never really heard it said like this. No one's expressed it to me. But there's something that this man is saying about how I can live and who I can be that's going to set me free from all the worry and all the sin and all the fear and all the guilt and all the shame and all the entrapment and all the ensnarement and entanglement that the enemy has brought into my life. There are words that he is speaking that are ricocheting and echoing and reverberating and shattering my preconceived ideas and they're making me come alive like that tree. They are stripping the bark off 
And there's a newness of life that I'm feeling. I don't have to be afraid of death anymore because if there's a life beyond it that I can enjoy right now. And I'd rather have what this man has than everything that the world can offer me at the expense of not having him. I'd rather have what he has and who he is than anything that this world can offer. And they're hearing these words, and some people are amazed, but others are being changed. And Jesus knows this. He knows that his presence, he knows that his words, he knows that what he is ministering is going to turn and change some people's lives. And those are the ones he's going for, because he is not there looking for admirers or fans. But those that will follow him. Pay any price. Do whatever it takes. Go wherever they need to go to be with and to be the person that he is calling them to be. And when he had finished speaking and saying these things, they were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the other teachers of the law. You see, there's something about when you encounter him and you hear his call, that if you're a true disciple, you have to follow hard after him because nothing else will satisfy. First point, are you following hard after him? Are we falling into the, the more admiration and being a fan and sitting on the sidelines as spectators? It's a common challenge that's coming in the church today. This isn't you. It's not the first time you're hearing it. But I'm wanting to remind us and bring it to our attention, even as the world celebrates the Olympics Few athletes, many spectators coming in the week ahead. The second thing I want us to see is those who are fans and just admirers, they often hold back part of themselves. They hold back something in reserve. They're not fully in. They're not fully invested. And so they hold back part of who they are. We see this in John 3, right in the beginning, verse 1. A Pharisee named Nicodemus, a religious leader, comes, and we are told as we read the text, that he came to Jesus by night. And he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no no one could do these miracles if God were not, not with them. Let me read that again. He came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could do these miracles if God were not with them. What jumps out at you as I read that? He's recognizing who Jesus is. He's recognizing the power of God at work in his life. But how does he come to Jesus? He came to Jesus by night. Why do you think it tells us that? He was part of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. He didn't want to be seen. He didn't want to risk losing his status. He wanted to approach in a way because he was an admirer, but he didn't want to risk too much in being associated with who Jesus is. And Jesus responds to him and says, Nicodemus, You need to be born again. You need to become a follower. You need to to let my spirit be so at work within you that he's leading you and bearing you and bringing forth his life and fruitfulness in you. You need to publicly identify with me. These are all things that that come out as Jesus speaks further, not in just this verse that we're looking at, but these are the requirements of what it means to be a follower, to find that eternal life, to enter into the kingdom. These are all these things being said. And we don't see Nicodemus make this choice in this little passage of Scripture. But I I believe what Jesus said to him so stayed with him, so worked on him, so convicted him right at the deepest parts, 
that at the end of the Gospels, as Jesus has gone to the cross and he's been crucified, and they, they're trying to see where they can lay his body, Nicodemus pub- publicly stands up and says, you, you can place his body in a tomb I have prepared. He went out of the night and into the light because he is a follower. We see another example in the scripture, and it's um, Matthew, uh, Mark 10 verse 17, the story of the rich young ruler. I don't have it to put up on the screen, but he comes running to Jesus. He's an admirer, and he comes running to Jesus, and he falls on his feet. He falls on his knees before Jesus at Jesus' feet. He runs up, and he falls on his knees, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's admiring Jesus, and Jesus responds to him, and he says this. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Was Jesus at that time separating himself from the Father? I don't believe so. I believe he was looking at this man and he was trying to distinguish, is this man a fan or is he a follower? Is he admiring me as just being a good teacher or is he recognizing me as being the son of the living God? So he says, only only God is good. Why do you call me this? And this man misses it. He doesn't pick up on that and recognize Jesus for who he is. And he's asking Jesus, how do I have eternal life, not realizing he is talking to the one who is life? And eternal life. And in, in the midst of that, he, he asks, how does he have it? And Jesus goes on, knowing that he doesn't recognize him for who he is. And he mentions the commandments. And this man says, I've kept all the commandments. And then Jesus says to him, and he looks at him lovingly. And he says to him, let me just turn there. And he says to him, he loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And this man walks away sorrowful. Because he admired, but he wasn't committed to follow. And even as he said he obeyed all the commandments... He wasn't able to even turn away from the first one, which was to love God above all else because he loved money and money was his prized possession. So he walked off admiring Jesus and following money rather than following the one who is eternal life and setting off on an amazing journey. So we see these two different pictures between Nicodemus and between the rich young ruler. And where do we find ourselves? Are we admirers, fans, spectators from the outside? Are we following hard after the one who relentlessly pursued us in love? And so Jesus gives this powerful sermon on the mount, and he starts to speak about what blessing looks like. You'll be blessed if, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And he continues through this, and it's a type of blessing that we're all invited to partake of. We're all invited into the life and the beauty of what he's speaking about. But the way to get there is not as broad as we think. He went on to say in verse 13 that you enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And only few find it. What is the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way is to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, to surrender to Jesus, to abide in Jesus, to devote yourself to him, not holding anything in reservation, not holding anything back, but to be wholehearted followers of this wonderful Lord and Savior that we have. 
That is the way. What is the broad way? Well, the broad way is just going your own direction, just going with the flow. The broad way is, as I heard, I was at a 50th wedding anniversary on Friday, and I had Frank Sinatra, not really him, but the CD of him crooning in the background. The broad way is, I did it my way. Just continue down that path. That's the broad way. It's time for a commercial break. Charles and Jen, you leave for the States tomorrow. Lord bless you as you go. You're going to be there for three weeks. I hope you're going to be rooting for South African golds all the way from American shores. We'll kick back in. That's the end of the commercial. We love them, and I don't want to miss them, and I had forgotten them. And so I needed to pick up on that. Following hard after God. Are we just being admirers, sitting back, holding things in reserve? Because I want to say there's no third category. What we find as we read through this passage is there's these stark contrasts that come as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, where it's this or it's this, but there's no other option. We read about the narrow gate. There's a narrow gate, and there's a wide gate, but there's no other gate. There's a narrow road, and there's a broad road, but there's no third road. There's a good tree, and there's a bad tree, but there's no third tree. There's true disciples, and there's false disciples. But there's no other category, no matter how, my, how we might want to define it. There's the house, as we've seen in the last week. There's a house that's built on the rock that can withstand. And there's the house that is built on sand that's going to fall down in the midst of the storms. And let me tell you, the storms that we are talking about and that Jesus is addressing aren't temporary one week that you can maybe bite your lip and get through it and hope to fix everything up afterwards. I'm talking about the storm of all storms. What are you building on? Are we wholehearted, devoted followers of Jesus or just admirers? Because there's an admirer category. What does that look like? Well, that looks like this. You know, sometimes we go, and this has been me, we can go to church and we can be in a Christian setting and we can talk the talk, we can do the charismatic jig, we can uh, quote you the different scriptures that we need to quote that might be out of context, but they make us feel better about ourselves. We might volunteer, we might give, we might greet at the door, we might be doing all of these things, but we still hold a bit of ourselves back. We still want to retain control. We don't want to get too close because we know if we get too close, then we're going to have to start actually spending time in his word, knowing that it's got the power to change us. If we get too close, we're going to realize that we need to start applying some of these truths to our marriages and to our relationships. And it's going to start to have an effect. And we're going to start to really talk different and look different and be different. And people are going to notice. And how's that going to affect me in the workplace? And how's that going to, how am I going to climb that ladder that I'm going to climb? And how am I going to um, retain my friends, if these changes start to take place, because I've seen other people change, and I admire it, but I'm not really wanting to follow. There's this category of admirers. There was an older pastor who had led a a good church, a, a big church, but something had hit him as he handed over, and he started to question, and he he um, wrote a book out of it, but there's a phrase that I grabbed that I love. It's called, he recognized that sometimes there are spiritual chameleons. Any spiritual chameleons in the house? Don't put up your hand. A spiritual chameleon is someone who can just fit into the different settings. As I've said, they can talk the talk in church, but when they're in the world, they can fit in and no one will recognize that they are admirers let alone followers of Jesus. 
They do whatever they need to to fit in with the crowd, but inside they are hollow because there's no commitment that they carry that goes to the very core of who they are. So there's nothing anchoring them. Their main commitment is to themselves. And this, this pastor writes, and he says this. He says, talking about people he recognized in this church that he led, he said, somehow, out of the vagueness or out of niceness or fear or drift or something, these people never got clear on this one issue, the people he's worried about in this church. And here's the question that he said they never got clear about. If we can go to that statement. Thank you, Jason. Here it is. Have you devoted yourself wholly to Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord and Master of your life, or have you not? He said he was so worried because he led this church, but afterwards he recognized there was a niceness and there was a friendliness and all of these various things he recognized in his church. But the one issue wasn't clear. The one issue he wasn't sure of, the one issue worried him. He actually said it haunted him so he couldn't sleep at night because as he had grown this church and built it up and it had influence and a name and it was full and it had great music and it had great friendships and it was known in the community, he wanted individually, if there had been clarity in what he proclaimed, that no one could leave one of the seats without knowing this, have you devoted yourself wholly to Jesus as the Savior and Lord and Master of your life? Or have you not? Broad road or narrow road, what's it going to be? He said, I'd rather be part of a community where that's been proclaimed clearly than be in a crowd of thousands where we just drift along as admirers, but no one following, hot on the heels of their Lord and Savior. And Jesus is not looking for admirers. He was never caught up with the crowd that never wowed him, sensationalized him, made him feel great about himself. He waited for the disciples to gather. The crowd gathered. When the disciples had gathered, he started to teach. Are we admirers or are we followers? Are we just fans or are we full of devotion? There's a word I want to put up and I want to ask, who can pronounce that? Anyone? My best attempt is funambulist. That's my best attempt. Anyone know what it means? Have you watched those like American funniest videos? They throw out a word and you've got to try and break it apart and put it together and see what it means. Anyone want to go at this one? What's that? You go where there's fun. Well, that, that's a good, I broke it down as where there's too much fun, you're going to need an ambulance. <laughs> but I'm maybe looking from a pastoral mindset, so maybe we see a different fun ambulance. But uh, this is what it really means, and I'll show the picture. It means a tightrope walker. And that is, and I'm sure you've heard of him, that's Charles Blondine. 150 years ago, he traveled a Frenchman to the Americas, and he came across the Niagara Falls, and he was so captivated by it that he wanted to walk across, and he strung up a hemp rope that was 
um, 1,100 feet across, 160 feet above the Niagara Falls. And he had a crowd gather of 100,000 people as he started to, to walk this rope. And they were admiring. They were amazed. They were entertained. You can imagine what they were experiencing back then. This was life or death. There was no safety net. There was no harness. Nothing was going to catch him. And these people gathered around, and they were just glued. They were intrigued. And he crossed over, and they had cameras, and they took photos, and Eventually, he crossed over, and there was applause, and then he got a camera, and he went across, and you know, the cameras of those days aren't like the selfies we have today. You can imagine, and he took a picture of those taking a picture, but it didn't stop there. He was entertaining them. He took a chair across, and he stood on the chair on the rope. Pretty amazing. Didn't stop there. He went, and don't ask me how he did it, but he made an omelet on this rope, and he passed it down with the rope to passengers on, the, on the, the vessel called the Maid of the Mist beneath it so one person could have a breakfast. Pretty crazy. This man walked the rope with an authority like not many other tightrope walkers had. And the crowd asked him, oh, well, before he did that, he went with the wheelbarrow in that picture, and they were amazed. As I said, he had authority like not many other tightrope tightrope walkers had, and then he took this wheelbarrow across, and he came back, and he asked them, do you believe that I can do this with someone in it? And everyone responded, of course you can, because they are fun ambulists. <laughs> of course you can. And then he responded, well, now who will get into the wheelbarrow? <laughs> and they had a major, amazing resurgence of, of crickets in that area, as everything went quiet. See, there were many admirers, applauders, spectators, and fans. Not many followers. There was one man in the crowd named Harry Culcord, who was a friend of his, and he had seen him do this hundreds of times. And he got on, and they set off across the rope. You can imagine inch by inch, step by step, on a wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls. And the crowd went crazy. Everyone applauded. But the crowd didn't get into the wheelbarrow. And what an amazing journey that must have been as everyone applauded, as, as uh, Charles and Harry took this journey together, one that neither of them were ever going to forget. Amazing picture. But in the picture, we see the admirers and we see the followers. And the question comes to us, where do we find ourselves? Even as we look with the Olympics coming up, and are we on the stands of our spiritual journey with the Lord? Are we in the race pressing for the prize of the high calling that we have in Christ Jesus? Where are you placed? What do you distinguish yourself as? Are you just an admirer or your wholehearted, devoted follower? Where's your intent and where do you want to be in that? Because some of us would come and we would start to say, well, I'm not good enough. And there's this in my past. And there's this area of sin that I was entangled with. And guilt and the shame and the baggage and everything I carry. And, and I just can't do it. I can't get across there. Well, the thing is, we never have to because Jesus has. You never have to walk that rope because Jesus has. You never have to carry that weight because Jesus carried it on his back. And he's saying, if you will just step in, have faith and believe in me and decide to journey with me, I'm going to carry you into the fullness of all I've purposed for you, for your destiny, for your calling. I'm going to carry you right into the Father's arms because no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way and narrow is the way. But you've got to put that into the wheelbarrow. And not just that, 
I'm not just asking for your past because I'm interested in who you are. I'm interested in your present. And I'm interested in, in what's before you. I'm interested in your future. And I'm going to ask you to lay your life and your, your family and your time and your resources and your finances. Not your finances, George. Yes, your finances and everything else. I'm telling you to put it all in the wheelbarrow. Because you're not going to get it across this line. But I'm going to carry you safely across. But the question is, are you going to stay on the the sidelines as a fan and admirer? Or as you've heard his words of life, as you've heard him speak, has something arrested you? Has it gone from beyond just being amazed to being changed where something's taken place deep within, where you've been intrigued before with the things of this world and what it has to offer, but you have had heard one speaking and teaching and living and revealing himself with such an authority and power that it's gripped you in the deepest place and nothing this world can offer you is good enough anymore because he is not only a good teacher, but he's a good father. Father. He's a good God. He's a loving Savior. And He's not looking for admirers. He's saying, are you going to follow me so that I can lead you home to the Father's embrace beyond the altar as we sing? It's a question that He asks of us. I want to just pray for us as you ponder that question. Lord, I just thank you that we can gather as your people and we can Come to your word which is living and active and alive and find truths that come and are just illuminated to us over and over again. And I thank you, Lord, just for your fresh challenge that you bring, Lord, because you never never leave us the same. You never leave us just to, in a sense, like that picture, just gather the bark and get and get hard into it. But Lord, that you, you strip that away because you want newness of life. You want us to be sensitized to you. You want that greenness and that vitality and that vibrancy to be coming forth from us because you're living life at work within us. And Lord, I want to pray that where there are those of us here who maybe have never made that decision to be followers, I pray that you arrest hearts. I pray, Lord, that today is the day that they're going from being just someone who admires to be someone that follows hotly on the heels of their loving Lord and Savior. And I want to also, Lord, pray for those of us who have maybe made that commitment, but we've, we've found that maybe through a little bit of injuries and cramps and uh, unfitness, whatever it might be, we've crept more onto the sidelines and out of the race. And I pray, Lord, that there will be something that quickens us to once again compete and to run and to press for that prize the high calling that we have that's in you, Lord Jesus, that you would draw us after yourself. I pray that in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.